where, and, and sure enough, I turned right to the book of Judges. Why would I do that? Joshua, chapter 7. So let's go to the word of God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It comes to us without error that you speak to us plainly by your spirit. We pray that you would give us um, the ability to not only hear, but to obey, that you would transform us by what we hear, that we would hear you speaking through even my words as much as I am um, proclaiming what you are proclaiming to us, that we might find application for our lives, but mostly we'd learn more about you and why we should worship you and, and how we might go about being more Christ-like in our lives. So we thank you. Pray now you'll be with us as we humble ourselves beneath your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's pretty amazing to think about how God has, there's a, one of the books, I like the title of the most, it's a good book too, but it's called um, God Gave Us Stories. It's Richard Pratt. It's about how to um, uh, understand the Old Testament in particular. But uh, that God gave us stories. When we're reading this, these are things that occurred and it doesn't mean that they're fictional. They, these things actually happen, but they're given to us, as the New Testament tells us, for our instruction. But we're able to learn in more particular ways things about God and, and us through the actions of God in the world. And so particularly here, as we look at Joshua and what's going on with him, they, they've, had this, um, they've crossed over the Jordan on dry land, like when they crossed over the Red Sea. And now they're crossing into the Promised Land, and God does this miraculous deliverance of Jericho into their hands, that he um, has the, the you know, march around seven times, the walls fall down, they go in to, um, to destroy the people. And it's God's actions that delivers the city to them. And that's where they stand now. Now, where do we go from here? We go forward. Because he's supposed to take the land. So let's look at the first verse here in Joshua chapter 7. And we read, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Camry, I'm sorry, Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So we hear the person's named. And he's not just named. His whole lineage is named. And he's one of the people of Israel. He's of the tribe of Judah. Which is where Jesus. From where Jesus comes. Would you like for me to switch? See if that gets rid of that. Okay. So... Here's a test, test, one, two, three. Here is a son of Israel of the tribe of Judah who is who has sinned. And you'll also notice that it says the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. But we'll see. Achan must have been leading a vast rebellion of people. But no, it was just Achan. But he was representing the entire nation. And so it's a, an interesting 
thing that God has set up within the people of God, um, this representation of others um, within that faith community. And so we see Achan's sin is Israel's sin. And we see the anger of the Lord burning against the people. So you do see God is angry over sin. So is he right? So, but what we're seeing is, and of course he's rightly angry, but we're going to see the reason for how angry he is. But we see this, we're giving kind of the background of the story here. This is some things that are happening that Israel, for the most part, is not aware of. Joshua is unaware of this. This is like one of these little um, things that the, the reader is made aware of. But the people that are living at this particular time, they're about to go into another battle. They don't know this yet. And so you have to kind of keep this in mind. There's a reason they're telling us this, because we're going to understand why what's happening next is happening. So verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua. And they said to him, Do not have all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And so we'll stop there just a second. This is great confidence. This is not the typical response that they get back from the spies. This was the first time spies were sent into the land. They come back and they're saying, these people are too big for us. We can't do it. And they end up, Israel listens to them and they flee and 40 years in the desert and all of that. And, and here they go. This is the third time spies are sent. The second time they listen and they go in faithfully. But now you almost want to say, is this an overconfidence? And really, you can't say it's an overconfidence because they're right. God can win with many or few. They just see and they're like, you know, this city is not. Look what we did to Jericho. We didn't even we just marched around. And here, we don't need this many people. And there's a lot of debate over, well, it doesn't say anything about praying to God. But God had already told them to go and do these things. Um, it doesn't say anything about, well, let's see what God wants us to do. But it doesn't mean they didn't inquire of him. We're just sort of told at this particular point, because what is happening is that Joshua is unaware of it, but his nation is under the wrath of God. But he's just going like everything's fine. Here we go. This is victory. I have, we, have made, we have victory. So let's go. Let's go do this thing. And the spies even come back and say, well, yeah, you don't send everybody to 3,000. I mean, that's a lot of people. But you, know, you have to send the entire nation that we were able to do this. And so in verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And so if you're remembering you know, past chapters when the spies go in last time and they find Rahab the prostitute. She says, God, the people here have heard what's going on, what God's doing, and the people's hearts are melted in their light water. And now Israel are the people whose hearts have melted and become light water. 
And it's just like that. Now, quickly. It's changed. And so, if you're Joshua, who is unaware of what we know from verse 1, he's going along as if everything's fine. And then they have this terrible thing that happens. So we get to verse 6. And then Joshua tore his clothes. And he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord. This is the presence of God. He's there. He has the right to be there as, as the moderator, as the mediator. And he stays there until the evening. And the elders of Israel are there with him. And they put dust on their heads. And so what you see, of course, yeah, this is the, what you do in great grief, great mourning is occurring. You know, he's like, rip your clothes and you, you fall down on the earth and you just take the dust. It's like you're returning to dust, cover me, bury me. I need to just, I'm dead. I'm, you know, so this is a place that, you know, we can find ourselves sometimes to feel like God has just pulled a rug out from under you. I mean, what's going on? Um, you told us to do this. You're obviously with us. You did a miraculous thing. We go to do the next thing and, you know, what's going on? It was a devastating development. And you said it was only 36 people. But thank God it was that few. I mean, look at the sovereignty of God in this. What if, what if they had sent everybody up there? I mean, how many might have died then? At least there were few that were there. So God in his sovereign care of Israel has them send just a few. And so, but there's still 36 of their men died and chased. And so the proper response for Joshua is mourning before the ark, before the presence of God. So again, you kind of have to put yourself in his shoes and, and think in our situations too, we run into things where we think, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything right. You know, and then we're like, okay, wait a minute, I know my theology. I know that I'm not perfect and good, but I'm hidden in Christ, right? Um, I know that my sin is covered. Yes, I know I'm supposed to do good. You know, so you're going through all this and, and, and then you're trying to do, you're trying to live life as a Christian alt. And then, you know, there it is again. What? It was yanked out from under you. And I, I see people like this all the time. I'm sure you do too. I don't know that maybe know, being a pastor is a, is a natural um, inroad into people's lives in a different way. But um, as believers, there's our natural inroad into people's lives in different ways. And saying, you know, I don't know how you deal with it. But in my faith, I deal with it like this. I believe in God, you know, and how can I pray for you? And this is what I believe about prayer. And, then, you know, entering into people's lives as much as, as they're allowing you to. But um, there are oftentimes when people, I just had a conversation this past week, a person um, I was talking to, and he said, um, I said, I knew he was going through a problem, and I said, well, how are you dealing with it? And this is a guy that doesn't normally cry or anything. His eyes welled up. And he doesn't go to this church. And uh, so don't look around, see who's hiding their face. There's nobody in here. And um, he said, I tell you the truth, I was very angry with guy. I've been very angry with guy. And uh, it's like, okay, I guess he's, he's, he had a, a cancer. And um, he's like, you know, he says, you've been one thing after the other. One thing after the other. I said, I don't know. And I said, well, how do you say And one of the things I like to say is, is like, well, at least you knew the one to be mad at. You know, God can take it. You know, where, where are you going with it? It's kind of the thing. And he says, I'm okay now. I said, all right. Uh, 
tell me the process. And, um, you know, some other pastor or some other Christian, I think it happened to be a pastor, he was talking to him and said something to him that put it in the right perspective. And he said, yeah, no, he said, I just need to be leaning. God's got this. He's in control. This is going to be difficult, but I can get through it one way. You know, so faith began to speak into the chaos. So this is where Joshua is. He's like, you know, where do people got You've told us to go forward. You're giving us the land. I mean, you know, sometimes in our lives we think, well, maybe I shouldn't have tried this because it failed. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe that's on me. I don't know. And that's a good place to start. But here's where Joshua starts. It's in mourning because something terrible has happened. And he has the right response. And in verse 7, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us. So he's asking this really good question. Why? And what I want us to hear is. The difference and the similarities. In the prayers of Joshua. And the prayers of the people of Israel. In earlier times when they're told to go in. When the manna comes. And, they, and it's too much. Or they didn't have enough to eat. Or the people in the promised land. Or, or too strong. And, these, and they grumble and they complain against God. You know, their prayer and then Joshua's prayer. Because Joshua here is saying, why? I don't understand. And that's where, and it's a place we all find ourselves. I don't understand why. What are you doing? There are times when we have trials and troubles and we don't get it. And we wonder what God could possibly be up to. And we're thrown into confusion. And all we have left is an anguished prayer. It could be a prayer of anger. Betrayal, confusion, but tears and your emotions go in lots of places. And in verse 7, he continues Would it that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? It's almost what they said, the Israelites said earlier, it would have been better for us if we'd stayed in Egypt. It'd be better for us if we stayed in Egypt. He's saying. Just, we've just been content to stay over there. You know, is he, is he blaming God? He's sort of in this place because he's like, I don't understand what's going on. And he's trying to figure it out. But he's there before the Lord. He's on his face. The people of Israel, we'll see in a second, tended to be with their pitchforks and torches in front of Joshua and Aaron, ready to do them in and replace them. And then Moses, I'm sorry, Moses and Aaron, and then Moses and Aaron throw themselves down on their faces for the people and say, please, God, don't destroy these people. But Joshua starts there. And we hear of Joshua's prayer, not the people's. Because Joshua is the one that represents them right now. And Joshua is the one that we're seeing. And his response is proper and right. He's saying, it had been better. What's going on? And in verse 8, he says, O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? They're running away. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? What, what is this? What do we, you know, and that's the life. I don't want to make it too much of an analogy for our lives, but man, it's an analogy for our lives. You know, at one moment, your chest's out, shoulders back, you're marching forward, you're conquering, and stuff happens, and no problem, no problem. I'm David, you're giants, you're nothing, I'm everything. And then some little tiny little thing happens, and wham, we're crushed. 
because it's not a time thing when it's at the right moment, at the right time, in the right place. People that know me well know that I have this one gift that I'm not sure is actually a gift, but if you are injured anywhere on your body, I am very, and I'm apt to walk up to you and just touch you right on that spot. Not and heal it, but cause you to have very much pain. And I don't know why that is. I'll go up some Dave Grubnice was in here one Sunday. I said, hey Dave, popped around the stomach. I don't pop people on the stomach all the time. That particular day, it struck me as the thing to do. He fell to his knees in the pew and went backwards. His face was red. His eyes bulged down. I was like, I didn't hit you that hard, man. And he had just had surgery. And I hit him right on it. I'm like, okay, man. Keep your hands to yourself. I got it. But that's what Satan does. In that analogy, I admit, I was Satan. But he just... Normally you can do that. One of the self-defense things I teach is called... If I had a seminar on self-defense, it would be entitled, Poke Him in the Eye. Because you can do this... Lots of places in your body, but you do that to your eye, and it doesn't take much, and, and you feel it. Satan knows where these places are. The world has a sense of where these places are. Your flesh knows where they are, and for some reason your flesh just wants to poke it all the time. And when it happens, you can end up right where Joshua is. And then we get to verse 8. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Okay, this is not going to get better. This is going to get worse. Then he says, and what will you do for your great name? And all of a sudden, in that one last line that's recorded is the proper turn. He's more concerned, this is what Moses would do, he's more concerned about the name of God than what's this going to say for Joshua? What's this going to say for Israel? He said, what's this going to say for you? So that the way we deal with our problems reflects on God. And so when people see the way we respond, they see what we really believe about God. That we are to shine like lights in the world. That the world might see our good deeds and that they're being carried out in God and that they would therefore glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's what the Bible says we're to do. But when we do Satan's bidding, we're declaring to the world darkness. And the proper response when we're hit with this stuff though is to say, what will you do for your great name? We have heard unfaithful Israel cry out against God in the past and they were punished for it. But this is how Joshua's prayer is different. Joshua's prayer is a prayer of despair, but theirs was a prayer of unbelief and despair. But despair coupled with unbelief and Joshua's is despair coupled with, with belief. They didn't really trust him. They really didn't like him, speaking of God and his ways, and they certainly didn't love God and his ways. And it's interesting how we usually only think of unbelief as a denial of God's existence. Do you believe in God? 
Um, and the answer is supposed to be, uh, yes, I believe in his existence, or no, I don't believe in his existence. But the essence of unbelief in Scripture has always been denying his goodness not or and denying his uh, lordship, not the denial of his presence. Because we're even told in Scripture that deep down everybody knows of his existence. It's the suppression of the knowledge of God and our sin is what happens through a denial of the goodness of God. So just real quick, if you turn back to Numbers 14, it's just a couple books to the left. Numbers chapter 14, just read these, this four-verse account of how Israel deals with what they're seeing as insurmountable and how they cry out before God. So Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And you kind of, you don't really hear that with Joshua. He's got this thing going on. But the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. <laughs> Joshua didn't say, would have been better we just had died when we attacked Jericho. You know, you're going to kill us anyway. Why don't you do it now? We hear the attitude. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Because you're going to kill us anyway. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Done with you. And that's not what Joshua is saying. Joshua is saying, I can't deal with it. I don't understand. But he's not abandoning them. He's not wishing he had been dead. But you hear from Israel the prayer of unbelief. I am done with doing it your way. You, your way never works out. Your way is too hard. It's time for me to do things my way. It's time for my way to go be the way for a while. And then you proceed to make a royal mess of everything. <coughs> but Joshua is in anguish. In confusion. And he finally asked God, what will you do? And then we say, we want what Joshua gets. Joshua actually hears from God. And we're like, God, you just answer me. And I can say that probably sometimes that is not necessarily what you want to demand of God at that particular moment. Because he may answer you with condemnation and judgment. And only if we're hidden in Christ, only if we're crying out to Him in faith, is the response from God the gospel and forgiveness. But He answers Joshua in verse 10. He says, The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. And here's where grace comes in. He's informing Joshua about the sin. He didn't know about it. And now he knows. This is a lesson for our lives. Sometimes the acknowledgement, finding out something's not right in your life, some sin in your life, something's going on in your life, is the mercy of God. To say, you know, let's, let's get this. This is something you need to address. Israel has sinned. <clears throat> they have transgressed my covenant. 
that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies because he's not with them. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. So they go from the people of God to they're now devoted for destruction. They had stu- Jer- Jericho was supposed to be devoted for destruction. It was haram. It was banned. You don't touch it. You don't have it. You, you burn it all. Only things are going to be used in the worship of God and taken to his temple do you allow to, to remain. But somebody did what was wrong and they kept it. We know as Achan did this thing. He says, I will be with you no more. So you become what's banned now. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. And in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. Imagine being Achan and it's being whittled down to you and you know it. Your sin will find you out. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. Because that's what's supposed to happen to the devoted things. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So when we look at this and we think about, you know, we read here, it's this outrageous thing that has been done. It's literally translated as shameful act of wickedness has occurred. So this isn't just, you know, what's so bad about it? And what's so bad is they've been warned and therefore, they're sinning against greater light. And if you don't have time now, but Joshua 6, 18 through 19, you read about it. Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 17 is where you really get this idea of, of what the, this ban is, what being devoted to destruction is. He's diverting. You, you burn it all because God's getting rid of the wickedness from your midst. And if you take some of that, then you're clinging to it. You're, you're, you're stopping the actions of God in this. And so it's a great sin against God for the people of Israel to be doing this thing. I mean, he tells them, absolutely warns them, and they know not to do this. And so we get to verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Jericho. Now we've been told, verse 1, you know, we know there's this going to Achan. The Zerites were taken man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and he was brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, which is Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them and see they're hidden in my tent. They're hidden in the earth inside my tent 
with the silver underneath. And from when I could look up, um, this was a, a lifetime's worth of wealth. You couldn't get this much wealth in a lifetime. But it was also enough where he could carry it and he kind of get away with it. It wasn't like he had a big old you know, trailer behind him full of stuff. He could hide it. And he did. But these things were specifically hidden. And what he says was, I saw that it was beautiful. And that word is tov. It can mean good too. He says, I saw that it was tov. It was beautiful. And I took it. And it was specifically forbidden. And we've seen this before. In the garden, Eve saw the fruit. And she saw that it was good. She saw that it was tov. So she could say she saw that it was beautiful to eat. She saw it and then she took and eat. And this is what it says here in the Hebrew specifically that Achan did. He saw that it was tov and he took. He saw that it was good and he took it. And it goes back to the original sin where Eve did this thing with the forbidden fruit. You do not touch it. You don't eat it. And she did. Even though God had forbidden it. And she gives it to Adam and he ate too. And we're all condemned as if we all did eat. And what will Joshua and all Israel do now? Will they choose to follow Achan or choose to obey God? And the choice is before us too. Do we remain in our sin and do we follow Christ? And sometimes we believe the lie that we can follow even in degrees. That we can follow sometimes. But, but most often... We just go about our own business doing what we want to do, but we have to be aware that if you're in a dense forest and you stray off the path for a while and you suddenly look up to get your bearings again, it can be very difficult. And that's what we do in our lives sometimes. We stray from Him and then suddenly you realize how far away we are. And in verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord returned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor, which means trouble. And so this ends the story of Achan. And we have to say, is this where we will end? And so at that point, we lost our Wi-Fi connection, which was interesting because I asked the question, is this where we will end? And it was, but not in the way in which I intended it. So Aiken, the point I was about to make, and actually did make before we lost our connection, Aiken goes from being one of the people of the promise, one of the people of the covenant, to being himself devoted to destruction. And in the context of Joshua, we just saw in the last chapter, Rahab.
she was one who was devoted to destruction, who became a person of the promise, one who will inherit the land of Israel. It has always been not mere flesh and blood that will inherit, but the ones of faith. Not all who are of Abraham are truly of Abraham, if they have no faith. And God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones, is what Jesus taught. Thank God that he can, because and that he does, because such were some of us. So to whom does the promised land belong? To Rahab or to Achan? To the one who was the prostitute? Or to the one who had heard the promises? The one who had crossed the Jordan on the dry land? The one who had marched around Jericho and saw the walls fall down? The former prostitute? Or the one who had been circumcised with Israel? and received all the outward signs of the covenant and the blessings of the covenant. The blessings of his covenant guide. But it was Rahab, the prostitute, who inherited the promised land with Israel because she had heard of the mighty works of God and believed that God was God and all powerful and that she was not and that she deserved to be devoted to destruction. So that has to be us. Lest we see the things of the world and see its beauty and our hearts go after the shiny beautiful things that perish and cause us to perish by leading us away from our true guide. Achan's actions demonstrated his lack of faith. Rahab's actions showed the fullness of hers. So we must believe and we must trust. We must follow Christ. God has given his son not to a single group of people by ethnicity but to a single group of people who are united by his spirit, by faith. He gave his son to those who would believe in his name, to his church. Not to save the Jews only, or this family, or that family, but God loved the world by sending his son into this world. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly in our place and became the thing devoted to destruction on the cross. So that we, those deserving of the fires of hell itself, need not be burned, but may be transformed from children of wrath to children of glory, children of promise, true children of Abraham by faith. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, we read, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. To what reward? 
did Aiken look? A few pounds of precious metal and a beautiful robe. Maybe a life where he wouldn't need to worry about where you know, anything to do with money. And so what was he thinking? What was Aiken thinking? Did he think God wouldn't see? That God didn't care? That 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 um, God may be upset with him, but at least he'll have a whole bunch of money. And you know, you get you get what you get. You have your cake and eat it too. Or, or did Aiken think that he wasn't that important and that God wouldn't notice one person doing this one thing, even though it was absolutely forbidden? But the reward that Aiken looked for was like the red pottage that Esau sold his birthright for. And then Eve gave up life with God for. What was the reward that Moses looked toward? It was to be pleasing to God and to have the treasures of God. And Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. The salvation of many sons and daughters. And so we have to say, and what of us? What of you? To what reward do you seek? Let's humble ourselves like Rahab and trust the Lord. There were stones raised in piles to remind Israel the mighty works of God when they crossed over the Jordan. And there were stones raised over Achan's body as a reminder of his wrath over disbelief. Let the stones raised in our lives be memorials to the reminder, to remind others of the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Lord, help us to set our eyes on you, to think more of you than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Help us to know that if you tell us not to do something that's for our good and for your glory, which is also for our good. So we thank you. Pray for each person listening that you would bless all of them and help us all together to fix our eyes upon Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.